hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. You have to go, you know, in order for all that stuff to even matter. You have to be there. So, you know, my point, and in, in you're talking about that one Instagram post where I talked about that, so I'm like, just go. You got to go to do it. If it's raining, go. If it's a good tide, go. If it's a bad tide, go. If your wife says it's okay, go. If she, no, I'm not going to say. If she says, says it's not okay, go. I'm not going to create any problems for anybody. Even if you just have two hours, go. That's You'll figure out something every time you go. You'll, you'll grab some little piece, right? And then it's all those pieces that come together that make somebody like a really good angler. Captain Dale Ash, the Jupiter Snooker. This is the Tom Rowland Podcast. That was Captain Dale Ash. He's also known as the Jupiter Snooker, and I had a really good time talking with him. What he just talked about is the concept of learning by being on the water, time on the water. If it's good, go. If it's bad, go. You're going to learn something every time. I had a great time talking to him, and uh, it almost always leads to a great podcast when we start off with a workout. Dale suggested, I didn't suggest it, Dale suggested that we get a workout in together, so I shared the deck of cards with him. He had never done the deck of cards, so we did it in a funeral park, well, in a funeral parlor parking lot that had a tiny little bit of shade. So we were good if either one of us died. Either one of us did, and we went on to record this awesome podcast. Hope you enjoy it with the Jupiter Snooker, Captain Dale Ash. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Right on. Right on. The Jupiter Snooker. Yes, sir. Right on. Thanks for coming down. I really appreciate it. <laughs> I feel like we've, uh, we've known each other for years after that workout. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of people want to work out for some reason, and um, you are one of them. So what did you think? Um, it was uh, exactly what I thought it was going to be. Extremely hard. Now, well, first, it was a deck of cards, which had never even done before. Maybe some of you people out there know what it is. Maybe Tom can explain it. It's uh, very intense, no rest, um, and I was on my butt uh, by the end. Yeah. Absolutely soaked, but, but feeling good. Yeah. It wasn't like, you know, I was going to die or anything, but then we just went and had a nice sandwich, and now uh, now we're good. Yeah. We're good. Um, so you obviously stay in shape. I try. What do you like to do? Um, you know, these days, getting a little bit older, I stopped, you know, going super heavy like I used to do when I was younger. You know, got after going through a couple injuries, you know, you start to get a little bit smarter. Um, so I start to do a little bit higher in the repetitions, um, a little bit less rest in between. So I try to burn through like 45 minutes, um, you know, so I'll, I'll do a little warm up and then whatever body part I'm doing, I'll try to combine two and just go through it um, pretty quickly. But mm -hmm. minimum rest now and then I'll do my abs in between. So I'll do like an exercise, do my abs in between, come back, do another set, do calves in between, you know, just keep going like that. I never know your rest anymore. <clears throat> so why is, why has physical fitness become so important to you or what has it always been important to you? 
I've I've worked out since freshman year in college. I was a personal trainer through school, and you know, kind of got really pretty deep into it then. Yeah. Um, and did that for a couple of years, and did that for a year once I graduated. Um, so I'd, I've never, you know, it's never left me. I've right. always always worked out. Um, you know, and then as you know from from working out like you do, and other people know from working out, once you get it. Then you then not doing it becomes a problem, right? So then you miss a couple of days and you start to feel so bad. And I'll I'll go through a couple of days of fishing where I'm fishing nonstop, and then I'll I still not feel right and I can't figure out what it is. And it's like oh I haven't worked out in two days or three days, and you really start to get, starts to get in your head and get a little bit edgy. And I just have to go in and get a workout, you know, just just to get it going again. Does your wife see that? Uh, does she see it in her? She see no, it in does me. she see it in you? Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> the two things that do that: if I don't work out and if I don't fish. Uh, she gets, she sees that. Yeah. She'll tell she me. she send you out the door? She said that to me yesterday. <laughs> she said, do you want to go fishing this morning? And I was like, no, I've, I got trips all week. I'm good. But Could uh, you please go fishing this yeah, morning? She was literally like, and I said, why'd you ask me that? She's like, I just thought maybe you'd want to go fishing today, which was her nice way of saying, you're kind of being a jerk. Why don't you go out and take a couple hours and kind of, you know, unwind a little bit. Um, she knows. She knows. Uh-huh. Do you find um, benefits uh, directly tied to, to fishing in, in working out and fitness? I think there's a lot of similarities. Um, I think that the, the ethic behind it is the same or like putting in the time is the same. Right. And, and you and I were joking after when we were about to eat, like working out to somebody bonds you with them instantly fishing with somebody, especially the right people bonds you with them instantly. So there's a lot of similarities. I think there's a lot of parallels there. Yeah. But the work, you know, nothing, nothing replaces putting in the time in the gym. Nothing. I mean, you can't, you know, you can do, you know, try all these different things. You have to actually do it, right? No matter what you're doing, the speed, you know, the repetitions, you know, all the different things. But you have to go and do it. And I think that's, I mean, that's what fishing is too. You can right. have all these ideas that you hear about and read about and see on TV. You have to go do them. You have to do that stuff to make it work. You have to be out there to see it all and to take it all in and begin to process it all. And the same thing with the gym. I mean, you have, you know, I talk to people all the time and they have all these ideas and they're talking about all these crazy things they're doing and all these mixes and they've seen all this stuff and I'm doing a YouTube thing and I'm doing a hit and all this, but you know, you got to do it. Right. I mean, you got to do it. <clears throat> it's funny when somebody might say, what kind of pre-workout are you doing? And it's like, they're trying to figure out that before they even jump into the workout. It's like pre-workout. Right. I don't even think about right. that. Like what I'm thinking about is, am I going to get my workout in today? Right. And I'm going to get the consistency. Right. Before I'm even considering like what those kind of things, like that is like going to give you an extra half a percent. Right. Right. What about the other 99.5%? Right. Which is actually getting getting off your butt and right. actually doing something. It'd be like going fishing and saying, "Where? What parking spot am I going to pick at the ramp?" Yeah, <laughs> like how important is that? Right, like this doesn't matter. We're yeah. going. <laughs> it's funny that we we start on this right away because um, you know I follow you on social media, yeah. And um, one of the things that I saw, well, actually, one of the things that I saw right away, or I don't know when it was, but I was like, I need to make contact with him. And get him on the podcast. And you had this thing and you had like a board in your garage. Yeah. And you were giving the recipe for being successful in fishing. Right. Do you know what I'm talking about? Time on the water. That's it. T-O-T-W. Yeah. And <clears throat> that's interesting that you have the, the same idea about fitness. But, it, but, but when somebody thinks about fitness, it's like, well, of course you have to do the work. Right. But maybe not think the same about fishing. Right. Like you, of course you have to do the work in fishing, but every now and then, of course, you see something super lucky happen. Like, right. like you're eating the sandwich and there's a shrimp that's two inches under the water dangling in the water and the biggest snook of the whole season comes up and eats that on right. the lightest rod in the boat. And right. somehow with uh, the, the person picks it up, holds it upside down, right. winds against the drag the whole time. And somehow it happens and it's perfect and you right. get that fish in, right? That's right. pure luck and opportunity and all of that. But then, then there is most of the time, which is the work has to get done. Work has to get done. Yeah. 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 I, I, I don't even remember how I thought of that, but it was just thinking about, you know, the basics and you, and you get so, just like fitness, 
you get so caught up in the details, right? So it's so easy and efficient to get caught up on the smallest little things like, God, it was the bait color and I should have thrown a one and a half instead of a two ounce jig and I should have been here on this tide. I should have been here on that tide. You have to go, you know, in order for all that stuff to even matter. You have to be there. So, you know, my point and and you're talking about that one Instagram post where I talked about that. I'm like, just go. You got to go to do it. If it's raining, go. If it's a good tide, go. If it's a bad tide, go. If your wife says it's okay, go. If she, no, I'm not going to say if she says, says it's not okay, go. I'm not going to create any problems for anybody. Even if you just have two hours, go. That's, you'll figure out something every time you go. You'll, you'll grab some little piece, right? And then it's all those pieces that come together that make somebody like a really good angler. All those things they draw upon and they have like this big encyclopedia in their head and that's what comes together and makes you able to make these decisions the right way. And it's the same thing with the gym. I don't know if it exactly translates, but it, all that stuff doesn't matter. Like the workout, the repetitions, none of it matters unless you do it consistently. Right. You know, and your message on that, I, I listened to one of your podcasts and, and said something about you got to, you know, what you were focusing on was working out consistently every day. And that is so difficult to do. I mean, you can work out three days and then that fourth day, you're like, man, I could skip today and yeah. I'd be okay. Right. Like I wouldn't lose, I wouldn't, not going to lose anything. I'm not going to, you know, it's not going to fall apart, but man, doing that every day is, it's short. But I find that it's, it's better. In my experience, I've seen it be better for other people and it's been better for myself to go a little bit every day rather than a whole bunch today. And then you're too sore and then you don't go till next week. And it's, it's like, well, if you could just go 10 minutes, five minutes, what do you have time for? Right. And then next week. If you, if you went five days and you went five minutes every, and, and you know, you did a five minute walk, right. then next week, could you make it a six minute walk every day? And the next right. minute, could you, the next week, you know, once you develop that consistency, then it's much easier to say, well, today I feel like a 30 minute walk and right. tomorrow I'll just do five. Yep. And the next day, maybe I'll do 40, but then I'll do five. Yep. But it's like you develop that habit of the everyday thing. And that seems to be what wins the race, like the, like the tortoise and the hare, you yep. know? And same, same kind of thing with fishing. But I liked, I liked what you were saying about, I even actually forgot um, until you said a little recap of what you're, you're like, if the tide's bad, go. Right. If it's raining, go. Go. If it's snowing, go. Whatever. Right. Whatever it is. The point being that the guide, this was an interesting thing when, when I was fielding calls and guiding every day, somebody would call and they'd be like, Hey, uh, thinking about coming in March and uh, looking at these tides. Which tides should I come on? And I'm right. like, dude, I don't, I don't have any idea. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm going anyway, right? So, and my job is to find fish. And of course, we could look at this and and think, okay, well, this seems to be a better tide, but maybe it's not. Right. Like, maybe I learned something between now and then that makes this tide that I think is dismal and terrible. Right. Maybe I learned something that gives you the best day of fishing you're ever going to have in your yep. entire life. So I was always very hesitant to do that as I was also very hesitant when somebody would call and say, Hey man, when you tell me it's good, I'll jump on the plane and I'll All be right. there. <laughs> I was always hesitant for that because I always thought, man, I don't know. It might not be like, what if I get this guy to come down here and it's not good. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, on his side of it, he didn't care. He's got right. a private plane. Right. <laughs> He'll just come. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, I've actually had that happen where I've had some local guys that are, you know, in driving distance and they'll be like, hey, hit me up the day after, the day before, not the day after, the day before you have a good day. And I've had it happen where it was firing, right? Killed him. Sent him the text. I have an opening the next day. Send him a text. The guy comes into town. Terrible terrible and they just that, that's just good i mean that's just fishing and then you have those days just like you said you know you got a trip planned tides not lining up great you know i'm running through spots in my head i'm like this isn't really lining up that well but we'll go hit it and we crush them. you right. know you get to the first spot and you're like these fish are lined up and you know so i'm with you i mean it's, it's hard it's hard to guess where those hot days are going to be but you can never eliminate a day i mean it could be it could be all time and you wouldn't even think it was going to be a good day at all right <clears throat> lefty cray always had a funny a funny little saying that well, he had a lot of funny sayings. He was full of funny sayings. He was a walking funny saying, actually. But he, uh, one of the things he'd say when he was having a good day, he'd say, man, it was so good. I thought it was yesterday. 
<laughs> you'll because should have been there yesterday. <clears throat> that's what that's what always happens. Right. Like the day before, it was really good. And then right. for whatever reason, <clears throat> maybe you go to the well once too often. Yep. And then and it's not. Yep. So what's your story? How did you how did you end up the Jupiter Snooker? Yeah. Like, where did you grow up? Yeah, so I was born and raised in Miami. Um, and was down there all the way through high school. Started fishing down in Miami. My dad started me fishing on the easy stuff as a kid, just catching snappers and stuff like that in Biscayne Bay. Made a little boat. But never, I wasn't, you know, crazy about it. Just really liked it. <clears throat> and then got into, crazy enough, I got into bass fishing in Miami. Peacock bass and largemouth bass in the canals in Miami. Mm-hmm. And I lived in Kendall. So this is South Miami. Um, and down there, you know, now it's a big deal. But this was when I was in like junior high. So this is just after peacocks were introduced. Peacocks were introduced, I think, in 82. And so this was like 89, 90, 91, right around in there. So they had been around for like five or six years. They're starting to finally starting to get big. And people were starting, starting to find out about them and stuff. So just got crazy about fishing, like right as high school started and was fishing all the time. Um, walking the banks all over Miami, you know, the C-100, Snapper Creek, uh, airport lakes, all the lakes down there, just peacocks and just largemouth. And then we go out to Everglades too and do Alligator Alley and Sawgrass and Holiday Park and stuff like that. Mm. Then my dad was nice enough to get me a boat. Uh, like my junior year, got me a little, you know, a little 15 foot tracker, I think, you know, um, and started pulling that thing all over the place and just, you know, really got, just kept going with it. Took the boat up to school with me my junior year in UCF, Central Florida, in Orlando, and continued bass fishing all around Orlando. And so I was fishing, you know, the St. John's River was like real close to school. So I fished that a lot. Great river. But I fished Kissimmee and Toho and stuff like that. All mm. bass. Yeah. No, no saltwater. Um, then moved from Orlando to this area and ended up in Palm Beach Gardens, which is just the town south of Jupiter. Mm-hmm. Um, still bass fished. Had two different... I was on like my third or fourth bass boat and was living... Then moved and living in Jupiter and was going to Lake Okeechobee all the time. Right? So waking up at four, hauling about an hour hitting Okeechobee for six or seven hours, hour back, you know, doing that every weekend, 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 met my wife, you know, got engaged and all of a sudden weekends aren't the best time to be taken off for eight hours a day, you know, and not spend any time with her. So then started kind of trying to figure it out and knew about the fishing here, had fished in Jupiter prior, um, had even done some snook fishing in Jupiter prior, um, but never really got deep into it. So then just decided, just made the decision straight up, sold the bass boat, bought a flats boat, and just started going, hmm. right? Because the ramps where I live now, the ramps, you know, seven minutes away. So I could go off to work, go early in the morning, come back, be home by noon, wife's still happy, that type of stuff. Um, at this point, we we're, you know, starting a family too, so I had even less time. <laughs> so started getting into the snook thing. Now, hold on. Yeah. At this point, what are you doing for a living? Had a job, you know, had a career in the financial services industry. Okay. Apart from fishing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's going on too. Um, so working full time and just fishing on the weekends, fishing whenever I can. And so then started, started snook fishing and started learning just the basic stuff and doing what everybody does, hitting docks, fishing little artificials, fishing some dock lights, stuff like that. And just, you know, catching fish, but not catching any big fish, just scratching the surface. You know, really not figuring it out, but just starting to get it. Um, and then what kind of changed a lot of things was I ended up finally being introduced to jig fishing, right? And that's a big thing here in South Florida for Big Snook. That's a whole kind of, it's almost like swim bait fishing for bass. It's like a whole different thing. So got introduced to that and started really kind of exploring that. And then that just meant that just like exploded everything because then you're really kind of, you're digging deep and you're really starting to figure these fish out and you're catching fish in spots that you never knew there was fish before. And it just opens up like the whole thing to you and you really start to figure out tides, right? Cause that bite is all tide oriented. So you're just starting to really get good on the tides and you know, there's guys all over South Florida that are insane with jigs. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like religious with them 
they have these places dialed and they're catching monsters all year. Um, but then once, once I started to figure that out, they like changed it. That's all I wanted to do after that point was try to catch the biggest snook that I could find. That was it. That's all I wanted to do. You're still in the financial services yep. at this point yep. and just fishing every chance you get. Fishing, you know, fishing late nights, early mornings. Uh, you know, my weekend time was limited, so I would try to slide in and fish, you know, after work or I'd wake up, you know, and catch a tide really early and then go and, you know, still, still, you know, working full time. So at this point, you're, are you kind of, is there anything on the horizon that you're like, I think I might be able to make some money fishing. Yeah. You know what kind of Instagram kind of, you know, made that change because at the same time I'm starting to fish, I got onto Instagram and just started meeting local guys, right? Because Instagram at that point was pretty small. This was like five years ago. So, you know, you're putting up pictures and you start following some local people. I'm like, oh, this guy, you know, and you start connecting with some people. And at first, that's what Instagram was. It was just these guys kind of meeting up with local guys, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm just posting pictures of Snook, posting pictures of Snook. You know, and the pictures weren't even that good because <laughs> nobody was at first, you know, just posting pictures and you start developing a following. Then you finally, Instagram started to grow and grow and grow. And I'm catching bigger and bigger fish. My fishing is progressing. And you start gather, gathering some followers, you know, and then you get to a certain point and now I'm starting to get DMs on a regular basis. Hey, can you take me fishing? Hey, can you take me fishing? And I'm like, no, for years. No, no, I can't. No, I don't do that. I can refer you to somebody because I know guides here, et cetera, et cetera. And it got to a point where just kind of like you said, I'm like, I can start to make some money doing this, you know, and I'd be fishing and showing people how to catch snook, like what's wrong in that equation? <laughs> like that sounds pretty good. Um, so that's when I started really kind of to, to, you know, do the math as far as, you know, to see if it would work. And then also trying to figure out how I'd be able to do it, keep a good family life, you know, all that stuff. It's, it's a commitment. Yeah. Well, that seems like a very challenging time in your life because <clears throat> how old are your kids at this point? Yeah, I have a six-year-old and a two-year-old. Well, now you do, but yeah. not so, but at the time of that decision. Yeah, I had a, I had a three-year-old and a nine-year-old. So right. my wife's probably pregnant. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, I mean, I remember, re- rewind back to when I was in that position, and, you know, your wife is looking for security right. at that point in your life. Like, you kind of needs, you kind of are, are gravitating towards, okay, we started a family, let's build a nest, let's stay here, let's let's create something that's going to be for the long term. Yep. And then here you are like, ah, might want to make a little change here. Right. Like, how did <laughs> that go over at home? <laughs> well, I, uh, my, wife's, my wife's great, obviously, and very understanding, but also she knows me and she knows that I, I never make decisions like this quickly. This was a, this was a, a month you know, month after month of me thinking about this and processing this and thinking about all of the aspects. I already had a boat, like I had all the costs nailed down. You know, I don't, I'm very deliberate on my decisions. So it took a long time and I was talking to her through the whole process. So by the time I got to the point, I'm like, I think it's time to pull the trigger on this thing. um, She had already, you know, I had already explained the whole thing to her and she was on board. Um, And she knew, you know, I told her that, you know, I, I already know based upon, the DMs that I'm getting now and the contacts that I'm getting now that, you know, I know I could do this. And if I do this the right way and position myself the right way, you know, I can grow this thing and, you know, do this right. And so that's what I've done. That's what I've tried to do. I don't know if it's going good so far. <laughs> so how many days do you think you're fishing now? I probably do. My goal is to get up to 200. If I can do more, great. I'm trying. I think that'd be a pretty good balance, you know, with everything else. Um, and this summer was, you know, off the hook as far as demand was great. And now we'll get in and the mullet run will start. So it's been good. So in different areas and different fisheries, I think that, you know, we were talking about, uh, my early days of fishing in Jackson, Wyoming, and how many days that, that, that kind of fishery, how many days it typically can support a guide. And I would say, I would say 120 on the really high end. For that particular area before right. it, you know, you, you have, you have issues where there's the spring runoff and really the fishing is not going to be grid, getting really good until like around July. Gotcha. 
But in June, like if you had some spring creek options and some private land that you could fish, maybe you could extend it out maybe 20 days like that. And then as school comes in 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 Labor Day, then the tourism really slows down and maybe you could get to where you could fish into October. Right. So maybe there's 120 days there kind of before it gets too cold or before the tourism kind of dries up. What do you kind of think your fishery in Jupiter could support? Like how many days could you fish 365 days if you had somebody? You could fish year round if you wanted to. You're just going to be moving around a lot. Yeah. You know, summer's peak just because there's so many more fish there overall, right? For the spawn. So the inlets are all loaded. All those fish are moving in and out of the river. Um, Summer is just prime time. Yeah. Uh, But things really start to, you know, we'll get into the mullet run through October. That starts to wind down. Coldest months of the year are going to be the hardest, but you're still going to catch some really good windows in there and those warm ups. Right. So you get one of those weeks where the weather's just fantastic and we're in those like 75, 76, 77 degree afternoons with a light breeze. That water warms up really quick and those fish get happy. Um, you get some surprisingly good topwater bites in there. Mm-hmm. Jig thing is happening all year, right? On bridges and other, other spots. So, I mean, that bite never stops. It just kind of ebbs and flows and how good it is. Um, but that can be excellent in the winter. Um, not the easiest bite to really kind of put clients on. Uh, but I will, I've had plenty of people that jig fish either on the West coast or in other parts of Florida. And they want to come and just sort of, you know, try to learn a little bit more about jig fishing and we'll come down, we'll just do a, we'll just do a night trip, you know, do a, a 12 to four in the morning, just throwing jigs all night. Mm. And we've had a couple of those and just absolutely killed them. Those guys <laughs> love it. <laughs> 12 to four in the morning. Yep. That makes for, uh, that would, I mean, I, I guess that's one of the places where you start to, uh, to to make the decision easy to go to go full time into the fishing because I would imagine if you're doing twelve to four o'clock in the morning as a as a part time fishing guide and then working in the financial world right from six seven o'clock in the morning till five o'clock in the afternoon right that's a long day yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know that's a really really long day. And, long day and you're going to be able to sustain that for a while just out of sheer excitement and sheer you know desire right. but eventually the battery just goes dead you just can't keep that up. Yep. So that's where I think, I don't know. I think that's a, that seems like a full-time fishing guide right there. That that's what that requires. If yeah. those are the hours, if you're doing that every day, if you're doing 12 to fours every day, that would be tough. Right. Yeah. But when I throw, I throw a couple of those in there, maybe one of those in there a week. And then the other ones are normal daytimes, you know, so maybe do some morning trips or do some evening trips, do some afternoon trips. Um, and in the winter, a lot of those afternoon trips are the best ones, right? So you're doing like a, maybe like a, that time of year, maybe a four to eight, something like that. Maybe a three to seven, somewhere in there. Those are good hours too. The water starts to warm up in the afternoon. But it's all, everything that you're doing is mostly, mostly based on the tides or as the, as like when you go to, to decide whether you're going to go 12 to four or you're going to fish in the daytime, does that have to do with the time of the year? And the tides, or are you mostly just going off the tides? And so even if you're somebody's coming in January yeah. and that tide rolls around, are you going to be suggesting a night trip or is that, that kind of like... Yeah, that time of year, it's probably more how the weather is that yeah, time of year and that day, thinking. right? So if it's super cold and those afternoons get really good and the morning, you know, that, that, that first light is the coldest time of the day, right. right? So that water temperature is 69 or 68 or sometimes even colder than that. And you wanted to, you know, get up 73 or something like that to really kind of make them moving around. But that time of year, water temp is super important. In the summertime, it's all tides because the water's 86 yeah. anyway. And conversely, I would imagine that that time that you just said was the coldest time of the of the day would be the coldest time of the day in the summer too. Yep. Right? Like it's been cold all night or it's been the coolest it's going to get coolest. all night. Absolutely. The sun hasn't come up yet. And then everything's going to be warming throughout the yep. day. So that leads to some good fishing as well. Yep. And that's, and that's why. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. In the, in the summer, that morning is like, that window is like five to nine. Uh-huh. That five to nine bite is 
phenomenal. Yeah. You're catching everything. You know, you're catching a little bit of jig bite pre-dawn and then going to the top water thing up until nine o'clock. Actually, it's been stretching out. This summer, we were going almost till 11, but it was, that's, that's like the magic. June, July, and August, five to nine is just favorite time for me to be on the water. Cool. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about is that I think that probably the most frequently asked question to me is somebody very similar to yourself. I love fishing, not crazy about what I'm doing right now, or I just love fishing so much that I want to make it my career. My life is such that I have responsibilities. How do I make this transition? And they're asking me, and you know, I didn't come from that. I just kind of decided early, I'm going into the fishing business and I've, I've never had a real job. Like my real job was guiding. That's right. what, I, what I did before that. I, uh, I mean, I guess, I guess you could call it a real job that I, I sold Olin Mills portraits over the phone one summer. That was, that was my real job. Sounds stimulating. But, but, you know, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) come on, man. That is, that is, you learn how to sell. Right. And I remember the first couple of days I, uh, actually sold something and they were super like surprised. Right. Like you sold one. Right. I was like, I sold two. (laughs) Right. And they were like, I thought I was, I thought I was not doing well at all. And they were like, oh no, you sold two. That's fantastic. Right. Um, so you do learn how to do things, but I kind of, I didn't change careers. So if, if you were to receive a, an email like that from somebody that really obviously has the desire, they obviously are kind of where you are. I mean, what's your, what's your advice there to somebody? Cause I, I mean, the reason why I'm asking you is because you seem like, you seem like the, the example, like you moved out of the financial world, which was a good paying world, I would imagine, with plenty of room for advancement. And you made the conscious decision to move into the fishing world, knowing exactly what you're giving up, knowing exactly what you're gaining. And you can obviously do anything you want to. Right. Smart guy. Right. So well, I'm interested in what you, how you would answer that question. Yeah. Well, so I, I, I had the ability and still have the ability in what I do with the financial services industry to do more of a soft exit. Okay. So it's not an abrupt exit. Um, so that definitely helps. But I've had people ask me that too, is, you know, and it's and almost all the time it's younger folks, right. younger kids. And they want, then basically it's like a DM, like, I want to do this. What do I do? Right. And I, I, I try to, first time I tell them, look, I don't know if I'm the best person to tell you this, but I'll tell you what my suggestions would be. Right. <laughs> and they have to, you have to be a hundred percent and you have to be these days and uh, you have to, you have to be, you have to cover all the aspects. Okay. So it's not just that you have to know what you're doing on the water. It's not just that you, you know, are showing up on time and, and doing all the things that you're supposed to do. You have to do all of it. It's very competitive. And the customers, in my opinion, the clients are, you know, I wouldn't say demanding, but their, their expectations are there. And you have to meet all those expectations. So you have to deliver on the fishing itself, but you also have to deliver on marketing yourself. And you have to be smart digitally. You have to be able to do all these different things. So be know that it's a whole package that you have to do, right? Well, so you have to have, you're going to have to have a website. You're going to have to have a social media presence. And you're going to have to be able to talk to people and send a good email and, you know, have a good phone conversation. Like you have to be able to talk to people the right way. And my previous career helped me in that greatly, right? Because I was, this is one thing that I was shocked about when I started taking people out is you deal with some very affluent individuals, right? (laughs) I mean, like I'm having guys on board that I had no idea that there'd be people on board that had accomplished as many things as they have. And what's interesting coming from your other background is it's like, if I was still sitting in that seat as a financial person, I would have given anything (laughs) to have this whale just to talk to this office, guy. Just right? to talk to him for like 10 seconds. <laughs> right. Right. And now I have him for four hours. And he can't talk to anyone else. <laughs> he has you for four hours. <laughs> right? No, that's, that's, that's actually very true. But I mean, you have to, you know, you have to be, you know, be able to have conversations apart from fishing with these folks. You have to be able to talk about current events. You have to be able to talk your way through a slow period of fishing, ask them about their families, relate to what they're talking about. You have to be able to do all those things. And I think there's a shift going on right now where there's younger guides that are beginning to get into this and do this. 
And some of them are able to do that. And I fished with guides in the past when I was a kid with my dad in different places. And there were a lot of those guys were an older crew. And those guys didn't say a word the whole trip. <laughs> like I was talking to my dad and these guys are sitting in the back of the boat smoking cigarettes, you know, and like you didn't even want to talk to them. The guy was so scary. Right. Right. And that those guys, full respect to them because they put in, you know, who knows how many thousands of days on the water. I'm not disrespecting them, but that's not what I'm trying to do. Like I'm trying to interact with these folks, teach them as much as I possibly can about snook fishing, right? And show them everything and catch good fish. But it's a whole experience, right? It starts the second they put a foot on your boat. It's interaction and getting to know them and chatting them up. And, you know, tell me about this. Do you have any other kids? You know, and it's a whole thing. You can't just sit there on your ass, excuse me, on your butt and just, you know, put baits out and not say anything. Like that's not going to, that's not going to do it. So, I mean, that would be my advice. Be ready to do those things. Like, you know, you're working all the time. You're sending emails all the time. You're, respl- you're replying to DMs all the time. I mean, social media is so huge, right? Instagram is the only reason why I'm able to do this. It was all Instagram. I'm answering DMs. I'm sure like you are too. All the time, people send you questions. It's so easy at 10 o'clock at night to be like, I don't want to tell this guy how to fish a jig right now, <laughs> right? Like, I don't want to type this guy about, yeah, how do I fish a jig? But I do. You know, all right, you know, do this, do this. Where are you fishing? You know, and those guys, you know, those guys come back and they talk and then, you know, they, this guy, this guy, Jupiter Snooker, he helped me out. You know, we went out with him and it all starts to come together, but it's a commitment, dude. I mean, you know, I mean, you've got it a lot longer than I have. Yeah. It's, it's a big deal. <clears throat> yeah, it, it definitely is. But you know, the, it, it's, it's interesting to hear someone else articulate what it takes because I don't know, I think a lot of people are, are quite surprised that that's what it takes to be a fishing guide today. Right. And maybe it doesn't everywhere, but I think that in places like Jupiter or the Florida Keys or maybe Louisiana or someplace where there's a tremendous number of fishing guides, there's a tremendous fishery there. Right. There's tremendous competition for that business. And you also have a, a lot of tourism business like lots of tourists come to come to uh jupiter it's a beautiful place yep you got lots of tourists that come to key west it's a beautiful place and so you can you know the other thing is is that there's a lot of different ways to make a living as a as a fishing guide and the idea of just having someone different on my boat every single day like a revolving door was never all that interesting to me right you know it happens it's always going to happen as a fishing guide and you'll be happy to get that business the guy that shows up that's the day and he's never coming back. Okay. Right. That's, that's fine. And right. maybe he's an avid fisherman and he just, his bag is, I fish something somewhere different every right. time I go. Right. Like, and that's what I want to do. And awesome. Glad to have that guy. But there is another clientele that you can, you can create for yourself that will book you weeks at a time, same time next year. Right. You know, there's that guy that does the same week every year. And then there's, then there are even more people that are retired local people that fish 50, 60, 70 days a year. And that was always what I thought was, was the pinnacle. Because if you, especially if you found someone like I was fortunate enough to, that was that person that wanted to fish 50 to a hundred days a year that lived there, that understood that we're going to have good days. We're going to have bad days for the most part. I know you're going to do everything that you possibly can for me. So you know, there's like this, there's like this release of, of, of pressure. Yep. It's like, look, I'm going to work for you. I, and I would be even more nervous for that guy. Right. Even though he's told me a thousand times, like, look, it doesn't matter. Right. Like, I know we're going to catch him eventually. Right. So today it's not that, it's not that big a deal. If it's right. really, if it all of a sudden gets cloudy, we go in. Right. You know? Okay. But I mean, that to me is the ultimate, but I would always be like, that's the one that I wanted to catch the biggest fish and the right. most fish and the, and have the best day. Yep. Um, but it's interesting because I think that your approach there of, of being super professional and showing, you know, teaching somebody something every time that lends itself to moving away from the revolving door and moving into the long-term clientele. Right. Right. And, and, but not everybody wants that. Might I mean, there's plenty of guys out there that they're plenty happy for a different person every day. That's what they want. Yeah. You know? Not yeah. me though. I no. always, I always wanted like somebody that shows up and they kind of know the program and we're going to go with out you. there. I would, I would much rather, uh, you know, when you know who you're going to have on board that morning, 
you know who the person is, you remember him from the previous year. Like, I, it's like, oh, I'm fishing with, uh, I'm right. fishing with my buddy. Yeah. You know, he's going to show up and I already know what he likes. You know, I, I remember, I have a good memory when it comes to fishing. Now, I remember everything on the last trip. So I'm like, oh, I know what this guy, I know he reels with certain hand. He doesn't like to throw top waters. He'd rather throw this. He might want to do live bait, but he'd rather throw lures. It's like you got the whole thing figured out already. Right. And I remember what he caught. So I know that, you know, all right, we can, we need to get him a little bit more or he's going to be happy with a big one. Yeah, it's like it's like a completely different thing than showing up with a new person every day. I'd much rather have a repeat. I love having new customers. You know, that's how you grow your business. But it's great having people come back. You how know? do you handle a bad day? Bad day efficient or a bad? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I got this question the other day too from a from a, a young fishing guide, and he was like, "I'd like to know like how you handle a bad day. Like things are not going your way, and certainly in guiding, man." For whatever reason, I mean, no matter how hard you try, no matter yeah. how good you are, you have some of those days where where things just don't go the way you want them to. You show up, somebody's in your spot. So you go and you move to somewhere else that you didn't really want to go and you 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 hit the bottom on the way and you're like, dang, man, what's going on? And then, you know, then the tide's too low and then you've missed this spot and you missed that spot. And then you say, well, let's go over here because this always works and it doesn't work doesn't that work. day. <laughs> and And you're just having a bad day. And then you need just a little bit of sunlight and here come the clouds. clouds. And, you know, one thing after another. And and on occasion, it does happen. And like to this kid's point, he was like, I don't have enough experience to know how to handle that. Right. What do you how do you handle a, a bad day? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the first thing was is that you have to you have you hopefully have acquired the knowledge that you can have plenty of backup plans and different places to go to try to overcome that but just like you said you can know everything and sometimes everything falls apart okay and you're really going to have to rely on some of your social skills at that point and i and i say that almost jokingly but if somebody's on your boat and they're not catching fish and they came there to catch fish okay they're still going to have an enjoyable time if they enjoy talking to you and you're showing them things and you're telling them about stuff and you're, you're sharing experiences. I love, this is an easy one. This is to, to the guy that asked Tom this question. Fishermen love talking about fishing. So ask them about their prior fishing experiences. So, you know, I start talking about where's your biggest fish? Where'd you catch that fish? You know, this guys love to talk about fishing. I love to talk about fishing. Everybody that fishes loves to talk about fishing. So start talking about fishing. You know, what'd you guys do this? Have you ever been here? And those guys, a lot of these guys have been all over the place. So they're just wanting, they'll share these stories with you all day. And they're good stories, you know, but keep these people engaged. You don't want these people to be just sitting there, you know, kind of not getting bites if the bite is slow, right? And focusing on that and nothing else is going on, okay? Or if they have, you have some kids on board, get them involved in something else, get them some little lures or something, get them working. They're working with the bait, something. Teach them something. Show them some knots. Anything. What you don't want is them sitting there, not getting bites, not talking, just like dead time, right? Like get them engaged in something. I guess that would be my suggestion. Yeah. Well, I like I like that so much. And I, I, I kind of baited you with that question because I kind <laughs> right. of thought you were going to answer it that way. Good. I was kind of hoping like <laughs> basically what you what you said that I thought you were going to say is teach them something. Right. Like if you're having a terrible day, teach them something, but that the temptation is, and it's very easy to do this, is to get tied up into how things are unraveling and going downhill right. and getting worse right. and then getting worried about that. And then you, you're so worried about that, that you forget the client and right. you forget that the most important thing should be the most important thing. Right. And the most important thing is that this person has a really good time today. Doesn't, the most important thing isn't that this person catches the biggest fish of their right. life. That may happen as a right. side effect right. of what you're doing. But the most important thing is that this person has such a good time on the boat that they want to come back. Yep. Right? Yep. And that could be that they have their 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 child there. Yep. Their child's never really taken to fishing. Yep. And you decide that the snook bite is off a little bit. Right. So let's go snapper fishing because right. that kid will catch one every time that the thing hits the water. Right. Right? And at the end of the day, the kid loves fishing. The dad wanted a 45-inch snook, but right. you know what he got? He got a fishing partner for life. Right. He'll never forget that. No, absolutely. Like, that. Those. that's kind of the advice that I gave this person is always, you know, keep the most important thing the most important thing. That comes from a book, like The One Thing by Gary Keller, I think, is uh, 
it's a really good book. And, and that was his thing. Like the most important thing is the most important thing. Just always remember that. Like, and so whatever that most important thing is to you, like, I guess if you're in a fishing tournament, the most important thing changes, right? Like the most important thing is winning the fishing tournament. That's what you're there to do. Sure. So let's focus on winning. And I don't really care if anybody has a good time. Right. We're here to win. Like if everybody's on the same page. Sure. I mean, there's plenty of other type of fishing tournaments where it's a charity thing and everybody's out there to have fun. And if that's the most important thing then that's the most important thing. But when everybody gets on the same page and it's like, okay, we're here to win this fishing tournament. There's a hundred thousand dollars on the line. Right. The most important thing is winning the fishing tournament. So I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings or anything else, or I'm sorry if you're bored, Right. but this is the plan and this is how we're going to win this tournament. Okay. That's the most important thing. A charter could be quite a bit different. Like the most important thing is that this person have a really good client experience. Yeah. 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 Yep. And that all comes from communication. Yep. You seem like a guy that communicates well with your with your customers. What it, and, and I've talked about this a ton on this podcast, but what's your how do you manage expectations like going leading into a trip? Like like you're you're talking about some guys don't particularly like to jig fish or whatever and maybe that's the only thing that's happening or you know there are certain times where you you likely might catch a lot of fish, but they may not be really big or, right. they, or you might catch only one fish and it's going to be the fish of a lifetime. Like, how do you kind of communicate that to your customers before the trip? Yeah. So I try to give them most of the communication is these days is email. So we're sending two or three emails, you know, around the dates, around everything else, booking the actual trip, get into the deposit, stuff like that. So we're corresponding throughout so towards the end of that, when we're getting near the trip, if it was booked a long time ago, you know, I'm confirming two days out or something like that. And we're getting location and time nailed down. And that's when I'll give them an indication as to kind of what's going on. Right. So if it's summer and everything's firing, then I'm like, you know, it should be really good. Moon and the tide are great. You know, that to me, if that's coming from me, that's a very good indication. <laughs> I never tell people there's guys that'll be like, oh, we're going to kill them. I never say that because you never know what's going to happen. But I'll be like, hey, this is a very good tide and moon. It should be good, right? If it's not, then that'll be kind of the indication that they'll give them. So I'll say, look, we're dealing with a lot of water, um, like this, all the hurricane that went through and we had rain previously the last month. Things are kind of a little bit off. So we might have to move around a little bit. Okay, so then they know. So if we're going to five different spots, then we're going to five different spots. I almost always ask them the lures versus live bait thing, mm. right? Because some people want to do one completely or the other. Um, and if they want to do lures, then great. Then I, that, that shifts the tackle that I'm bringing. So I need to know that. If they want to do exclusively live bait, then that you know is going to be a different angle that we go. So that's usually a question. But just kind of, I'll kind of give them an indication. And then, then when they step on board, I'm going to do another, give them another kind of indication as to what's going on based upon what I've seen that morning when I was getting bait. Or if it's the wintertime and I show up and the winter water's 62 degrees, first thing I'm going to say is, hey, I'm looking forward to the trip. The water's really cold. It might be a tough day, but we're going to do everything we can. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'll tell them that right off the bat. So we know. So then if we get out there and we kill them, great, we kill them. But, you know, there's an expectation is set, like we're going to be working. I'm going to work for you today. I'm going to work the whole time. But the water's 62 degrees. <laughs> That's yeah. cold for Florida. So it might not be as good as it could be. So I'll usually try to set the expectation pretty clearly so they know. The last thing, the last thing I'd want to do is to tell someone it's going to be good, and then it's not. Right, right. I'd much rather tell them it's that the possibility is there, and then we kill it, or you know it's challenging, and then we do fairly well. Like that's I like to set the bar low, yeah. and then you know exceed it right. as opposed to the other thing. Yeah, the last thing I want to do is disappoint somebody and set an unrealistic expectation. So, what about canceling a trip because of the weather? The only trips I canceled this year, this past week, because of the hurricane. And and because the hurricane is impending, it's coming yeah, in, it or was, because it's forecasted? No, it was looking like it was going to hit you. Well, yeah. you know, I mean, I don't know where we are. We're, you know, this, we're talking about Hurricane Dorian, who was just, you know, went through the Bahamas, but it was looking at sometimes like it was going to come through Jupiter right. last week. And so I had a guy coming in from Texas, canceled him. Um, I had a guy that was going to do Friday too. I had to push him off, although we could fish Friday. I hadn't been on the water because I took my family and got out of town. So yeah, everything was thrown off, but that was it. That's the only trips I've canceled all year. Luckily. Yeah. Yeah. You seem to, in Jupiter, you've got a lot of places to hide. Weather-wise. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, in the wintertime, even when it's blown out of the Northeast, you can still find places to fish. I've never canceled because of wind. Hmm. Yeah, really? It's not an issue. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yep. We canceled because of wind in Key West lots. I believe it. It's blowing 30, yeah. you know, and yeah. you're in a little 16-foot skiff. Yeah. I mean, that can be... That can be a tough day, and yeah. it can also be, you know, you you know these people, and you're like, man, that guy does not like a rough ride. Right. This is a day full of rough riding. Right. Like, no matter how you slice it, it is going to be really rough. So I would always, I would always kind of put it in their court. I'm like, look, it's really, it's not going to be unsafe. I can, I can try to keep you dry, but you're probably not going to stay dry. Right. And it's going to be very challenging fishing. So if you want to go, I'm here for you. Let's go. Right. If you don't want to go, I'm 100% fine with that too. <laughs> I could use a little time with my kids. But yeah, that, that's a that's a weird communication thing too. Because yeah. I had a guy that came up to me recently. He goes, you, you won't remember me, but you did me the biggest favor one time. And I was like, really? He goes, yeah, we, we were booked to go fishing. And you called up and you, you canceled, canceled the trip. You <laughs> right. said, it's not going to be good right i i suggest that we not go right which doesn't really sound like me i'm more of a uh, there's a lot longer winded explanation <laughs> than that usually uh that's why i'm good at be being a podcaster i think um but then he said that his friends the the captain didn't give them an option and they just went gotcha and that at the, they got back at like noon and they basically begged the guy to take them back and right. they were all beat up and they, right. no nobody had fun yep. meanwhile these guys had been walking around on Duval Street having a good time right. and they were disappointed they didn't get to go fishing but when they saw their friends they were like oh okay and so it turned out that he wasn't upset with me for canceling the trip he thought Actually, that was, was happy about it yeah you're being honest well yeah. I mean, I, you try to be, but yep. you want to make the money. Sure, sure. You, know? you want to yep. make the money. So what else, uh, what what gets you the most excited about snook fishing? Probably topwater. Yeah, topwater and jig, I would say, are almost about equal levels of excitement as far as what the best way for me to catch them. Uh-huh. And yep. that's interesting because that's almost two completely different things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? completely different. One you know, as a nighttime, you know, low light bite, the jig thing is pretty much exclusively nighttime and low light unless it's really dirty water and it's deep and it's current and it's structure. And then the top water is, you know, in the summertime, we have some sight fishing that goes on, but you're dealing obviously with top water. So you're fishing shallower water, looking for some fish or just covering water with big walking baits. Either way, I mean, two completely different ends of the spectrum, but the level of excitement is just, you know, does un that unbeatable. Two, does that draw two different? clientels now about the same i mean my i tell people if somebody says you know yes i want an artificial fish i want to throw lures with you i've seen you throw lures a lot of guys say i've seen you throw your lures on instagram i want to do what you do i want to do a jig and then top water mm. so then we'll start pre-dawn we'll throw the jig for two hours from like five to seven and then we'll go straight into top water and do a top water from like seven to nine or seven to ten and that is when that lines up and they catch a fish on a jig and they get that first thump on a jig, which is like electrifying, yes. that happens. They get that and they're so stoked on that. And then we go and we, we throw out some huge fish on top water in the summer. I mean, that is just, those people are, they're hooked. They'll be back. They'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Also, one question that slipped by when we were talking earlier, you were talking about the peacock bass being introduced in Miami. Do you remember why that was? They introduced them because they had introduced, I don't know if they had introduced or had just been released some other invasive fish to eat the hydrilla, if I'm remembering correctly. And somebody, if hears this and corrects us, then correct us. But if I remember that correctly, they introduced a different fish to eat the hydrilla in the canals. That fish became overpopulated. I think it was a cichlid or something else. So then they came up with the idea to release peacock bass into the canal system to eat the cichlids. And I think they had thought it might develop into a sport fishery, but it was more of, uh, you know, they were trying to eliminate this other fish. And then those peacock bass just thrived at that time and started growing and, and you know, producing and became an established fish. People were freaking out that they were going to eliminate the largemouth population because the peacocks are pretty aggressive. That didn't happen. I'm sure there was a little bit of balance that had to take place, but there's both down there, largemouth and peacock. Um, but it was to, it was, the purpose was initially to eliminate another fish that had been introduced. 
So when you were watching this early on, you were five years into it. Mm. Do you remember the places that they introduced these? They introduced them in 82, if I remember correctly. And I didn't start fishing for peacocks until a few years later. Right. But they introduced them throughout South Florida and all the canals are kind of interconnected. Right. That's what I was going to ask. Like, yeah. If they had like stocking points and then you could kind of witness how these fish just spread spread out kind of almost on their own. But. If the, how far they would go from that original stopping yeah. point? I, I probably I don't I don't really know. They had uh they had it, they introduced them all over at the same time as far as as far as I understand. Right. And then all those fish, all those canals, even if they're not directly connected, they're connected through culverts and everything else. So those fish just spread out all the way through South Florida. They got into places that they weren't even supposed to be. Right. That's what I was. Yeah. So I mean, they're at. you know, and they've made their way over the years. They've made their way all the way to Palm Beach County. I mean, they have them in Lake Ida. Right. And they have them in, they, they made it to Lake Okeechobee in the past and then got killed off in a freeze. I mean, they'll just keep going as they expand and they're trying to find new territory. They're going further north and further north and then it gets cold and they get pushed back. Right. Yeah. And what happens in Lake Ida? Like this, I got to go fish in this place because I want to catch one of those clown knife fish. But that place is full of like all kinds of exotics, right? Yeah. Yeah. They got everything in there. Why? I don't know. I guess it's just the environment there is just great for all those different fish to thrive. But they have, you know, the clown knives, peacocks, um, snakeheads now in some of those surrounding canals. And there's sunshine bass in there that they introduced. There's all sorts of stuff in there. Yeah, it's wow. great. Yeah, that's what that's an awesome place to fish. And then then some places there are like these Paku. Yeah. Yeah, so those in Miami and places, right? South Florida right? has just become this exotic, wild place almost like the amazon mixed with well i mean it is it's the amazon mixed with lake okeechobee right right <laughs> that's, that's really what it is there's everything giant bass all these exotics i don't know i want to i really want to fish that lake ida i talked about that with um with uh alberto because that it just seemed like he he's got that dialed in i think yeah 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 there's a lot of guys that are really uh really good on that bite and it's uh it's fun you never it's one of those places where you're fishing lures or fishing live bait and you hook something and it could be six different things and all of them mm. are cool right uh -huh. it could be a claw knife could be a peacock could be a sunshine bass you know it could be some sort of cichlid or something you know who knows yeah very fun interesting yep so outside of fishing and working out what else are you interested in uh <laughs> that pretty much that's pretty much it on my interests you get you know, married with with two kids fishing you know full-time and then fishing as much as i possibly can on my own which these days is none and, uh, you know, that's it. I mean, you're, there's only so many hours in the day <laughs> and that's, uh, you, you have all these other things that you want to do. And then, you know, having, having all the things that you normally do around the house and all that, that's, that's it, man. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, your wife at this point, very, are you, are you happier and more satisfied as a fishing guide or as a financial person? Is she, what's her, what do you think her opinion would be? Definitely as a fishing guide, she would say. And then there is, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, um, you get a, you get a different level of satisfaction and enjoyment when you're doing something that you're passionate about, um, you know, on a daily basis. And the other thing that I, that I was concerned about when I was starting to think about getting into guiding was that once you become a guide or start guiding, if you're really doing it right, you're not fishing yourself much at all. Yep. Right. Even if you are thinking you're going to. Right. Like you're thinking in your head, oh, I'll go scout and I'll be able to fish. You're really not. <laughs> you're not fishing that much. My concern then was, all right, well, I'm is am I, am I still going to get the fulfillment, you know, that fishing of yourself gives you right. Like being able to experience it all firsthand, which is, you know, it's all so primal and it's sort of like, you know, gives you that satisfaction when you catch a fish and go through the whole process. You're not doing that as a guide. You're going through part of the process, but you're not doing the catching. And what I was what I was very pleased to find out is I probably get 99% of the satisfaction from watching somebody catch a fish. It's really close. Like you're almost doing it yourself when you're, you're really experiencing with them and somebody catches one the right way and they're so incredibly happy about it, you know, and they're just like, you know, they're ecstatic and they're screaming and you're holding up the fish and you're getting pictures. I mean, it is as if you catch the fish yourself right? Like you're there. I might as well have caught it and just be holding it with the client. They're so happy. And at the end of one of those days, I'm loading up the boat, you know, at the ramp, you're tired, your hands are all beat up. 
and I feel as if like I just fished for seven hours. Like it's it's right there. And I didn't know if that would happen. Yeah. Like I was thinking I'd come off the water like I didn't get to do any of that. You know, like this this wasn't good at all. Like I'm still kind of have that edginess, but you don't or I, I don't. And, and maybe you felt the same way, but like I feel almost completely satisfied when I come off the water on a good guided trip. Yeah. It's, it's as if I did well, it. We've talked about it before about how there's guide mode and there's angler mode. And, you know, if you are going into being a guide and you're in angler mode, you're almost resentful of the person that's catching this big fish. You're putting this person on this big fish. And you, you'll see some people that don't stay with guiding very long mm. because they're like, man, that's my fish. I found that fish. I, this guy doesn't deserve to catch that. Fish. He oh, doesn't wow. have the skills to catch that fish. That's and it's usually coming from somebody that that is young and hasn't hasn't caught a whole lot of big fish, right? Yeah, and themselves, and so they're 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 like not straight up resentful, but no, I get just kind of like, wow, yeah. like I'm gonna let that guy catch that right. fish right there, man. That would be my. I want to catch that fish. I've never had that thought cross my mind. Well, and then there's <laughs> then there's guide mode. Like once you kind of develop yourself as an angler enough to where you're like. Yeah, I could catch that fish. Right. I know I could catch that fish. It might take me a little while. Right. But I could catch that fish. But what's going to be more challenging is getting this person to sure. catch that fish. Yep. And what's going to be more rewarding is watching this person catch that yep. fish. And this is my job and this is my role in this thing. Yep. Is that I'm going to find these fish yep. that I would give anything to catch myself. Right. And I'm going to give this opportunity to this person that's yep. on my bow. And that's a that's a different different deal. And I think that's what successful guides, I think that that's the, the attitude that they go in of, wow, look what I can do. I can get this person who has a, a, a one, one millionth of, a, of experience that I do, and I can have him catch a fish or her catch a fish that's bigger than anything I've ever caught before. Sure. And anything that I may ever catch before. Sure. Because I'm going to fish through my voice. Right. I'm going to coach this person into catching that fish. Yep. And then that's super rewarding. I it found is. it to be even more rewarding than catching the fish myself. Yeah, I would I would agree. Coaching them through that process is like you're living it through them. And it's so easy to say like, all right, I could throw out this fish once and I could lay it down perfectly. But this person is going to take, it's going to take them five times to do it, you know, but I have to tell them each time, okay, a little bit further, a little bit less. Okay. And this next cast, you cast at the front of the bridge this time, go through, you know, go 50 feet past the front of the bridge, mm -hmm. you know, or something like that. And, and, but you're right though, you coach them through that. And when it all comes together and that finally happens and they finally land that fish and you grab it for them and bring it on board. I mean, you guys are, you know, that's it. Oh yeah. That's it. And the same thing happens with your kids. When, when, when your kids get just a little bit older, you're probably fishing with your six-year-old, the, the little one probably not quite there yet, but you're getting there. And then that is even take all of those emotions and everything and, and multiply them by a hundred yep. when it's your kid. Oh, it's yeah. And, and then, you know, like when I would take my kids fishing with someone else, they would be like, well, what do you want to do today? It's not about me. Get those kids it's, to catch something, Yep. you know, get them to catch something. And that's what it, it'll, it, it'll be awesome. No, you know, that's like, all. it's all about the kid. Yep. All right, man. Well, that's, uh, that's awesome. So if, if you were to blue sky the next five years, where would you want to be? What would you want to be doing and how can we all help you get there? Yeah. Uh, wow. I want to just, you know, my, my goal, my mission statement for what I'm doing right now is just to you know, teach people that come on my boat as much as I possibly can about how to catch a big snook. That's all I'm trying to do. So, you know, I want to continue to do that. And I want to have as many people on board and have keep interacting with these people that are coming from all over the place. I've had people this year alone, I had three guys come from Panama. I had two guys from Brazil. I had people from all over the country, United States, a lot of people from Florida. And every single one of them, you know, they bring a different story, but they all want to do the same thing. They want to catch some snook, whether it's the big ones or small ones. I just want to help them do that. I want to be on the water as much as I possibly can, you know, experiencing that with them and then growing this as much as I possibly can and just seeing where it leads. That's my goal. Right on. So people can help you with that by going fishing with you. That'd be great. Yep. They can find me on Instagram, Jupiter Snooker. Uh, my website is jupitersnooker.com. That's the easiest way. Right on. Well, Dale, it's 
It's been awesome, man. Yeah. Uh, thank you for coming down here. You know, uh, just to let everybody know, you drove hour, yeah, over an hour to come down, and then you insisted that we worked <laughs> out <laughs> on the way down. He put something on his story that said that uh, he was coming down to do the podcast and work out and eat lunch, and he was most nervous about the workout. The workout. <laughs> I don't know why you'd be nervous. You did great. Oh, I wasn't that nervous. I just knew I knew exactly what I was in for and I was exactly right. Both Tom and I are sitting here doing this podcast. We're reek we reek of sweat. Our shirts are still probably just drying out for the first time because we did a deck of cards workout that absolutely kicked our butts. Um, I still need to take a shower, but hey, it was a good way to start it off, right? That's right. That's right. And I told you before that the best podcast I feel like the best podcast that I've ever done have a, a workout has preceded them. And, yep. and just like to your, to your point that you do bond with someone like that. Like, I don't know, especially in the workout, even more so than, than the fishing. Like you see, you see what somebody's all about. Oh yeah. Like, you know, and whatever. I mean, it's like, you see what they're all about and it's not like, Oh, if you can't hang, then, then that's no good. We're not going to be friends. Right. It's like, okay, I gotcha. Like right. you're having a little trouble right now and right. not you, but you know, somebody might be having a little trouble right now, and, but they're they're giving it a hundred percent. Right, I gotta see that. Right, I see that. Like that's awesome. It all comes out. We're 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 gonna be best friends. Yep. <laughs> it all comes out in the workout, man. Yeah, no, it does. And on it's, the boat too, you'll see cool. the same thing. Yeah, man. Yep. All right. Well, it's great spending the afternoon with you. I really awesome. appreciate it. And look up the Jupiter Snooker. And if you haven't fished in Jupiter, man, that place that is like one of my favorite new places. I don't know how I didn't know Jupiter very well all yeah. these years, but once I went there and experienced it a couple different times, I mean, that place is magical. Yep. I could easily live in Jupiter. Easily. That place is amazing. Great place to live. Plenty of stuff to do. Fishing's fabulous. The inshore fishing is great. Offshore fishing is great. You know, restaurants are great. Places to stay. It's got everything. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Look him up. Jupiter Snooker. See you. there and the fish are where you think they are any one of these casts could be the bite it's the most exciting fishing that i know right here at hawks cave oh that's awesome experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer don't miss thursdays with saltwater experience brought to you by golden boat lifts every thursday night from 6 to 9 p.m eastern on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.